0: feel the song will rise Joy i
1: of this he delights in our praise church he delights in your offering I'm going to read from Colossians chapter 1 starting at verse 9 for this reason since the day we heard about you we have not stopped praying for you and asking God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all spiritual wisdom and understanding and we pray For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Amen, church. We have a reason to praise him, don't we? We've talked a lot in staff meeting lately, and I've actually also had a conversation with my daughter, my 10-year-old, yesterday, brought about by her confused about kind of what this is listing out growing in the knowledge we we come and we have these spiritual disciplines and we pray and we read the bible and we gather as saints and we can't get one before the other right god loves us and he's redeemed us and we accept his love and because he wants a love relationship with us we do the other things and we're on this journey of sanctification and growing in his likeness and becoming more like him because he loves us. And that is good news, isn't it? We're gonna sing about how much he loves us. He's jealous for me. His love is like a hurricane and I'm the tree bending beneath the weight of his wind and mercy. Y'all, this is like such a love poem (laughs) of God's love and I, I just pray in these moments if you want to come to the altar if you want to sit in your seat may you bask in his love because it is so great for every single one of you let's sing about it
0: Of a sudden, I am unaware of these afflictions eclipsed by glory, and I realize just how beautiful you are and how great your affections are.
1: other song it's so simple and I think you've known it since you were three Jesus loves
0: me this I know for the
1: as we've just sung with one voice. the Words will be on the screen, pray this with me. Oh God, whose blessed son came into the world that he might destroy the works of the devil and make us children of God and heirs of eternal life. Grant that having this hope, we may purify ourselves as he is pure. That when he comes again with power and great glory, we may be made like him in his eternal and glorious kingdom, where he lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit,
2: one God, forever and ever. Amen. An extra hour of sleep, and I get to wear my pajamas to church. Can it get better than that? Zoe, does it get better than that? No. But then I thought, wait a minute, not only that, but then I'm going to get to spend An hour of my Sunday in a room full of kids that are laughing and excited and dancing in their pajamas. Surely it can't get better than that. And then I thought about how last Sunday we had planned that we were all going to go out this week and try to find ways to be really helpful in little ways that would make big differences. And we're going to have a whole discussion about that this morning. And I thought, okay, I cannot wait to hear those stories. It surely can't get better than that but can i tell you it absolutely can and it will because what i've been looking forward to the most this whole week is when we split up into our small groups and when i get to section off with my sixth graders and we get to laugh together about the highlights of our week we get to commiserate with each other over the things that didn't go so well and those kids those sixth graders like oh, they have they have my heart about a year and a half ago, over a year and a half ago now, everything in our church felt like it came to a screeching halt, including our children's ministry. We were no longer able to meet on Sundays. Our Sunday school teachers were no longer able to gather with their kids weekly. And we, for, I feel like just a millisecond, felt like we were scrambling. What are we we gonna do? Um, A lot of things stopped. But one thing that didn't was the discipleship and the relationship that our Sunday school teachers and our leaders had with kids. And how do I know that? Well, because my kids were the lucky recipients of letters in the mail, calls, special visits. Emerson had birthday donuts that um, Holly Nurick just came to our house to drop off to him. And my kids started to talk about how much, not only did they miss being at church with their friends, but they missed specific adults that had made an impact in their life. Finley cried when it was time to move to a new class this year. And we had to have conversations about opening your heart to to new people that want to invest in your lives because those relationships, those discipleship, those Sunday school teacher relationships mean so much. We know that one of the determining factors on whether a kid will develop a lifelong authentic faith, whether they will grow into adulthood and stay in the church, is that they have to have a web, a handful of adults that are consistently and intentionally involved in their lives and serving in places where our kids know them and love them. I'm gonna share a verse with you this morning. It is from 1 Thessalonians. It's 1 Thessalonians 2 verse eight. And this is Paul talking about um, kind of their method for discipleship as they are here in um, talking to the church in Thessalonica. He says, this is verse eight, we cared so much for you that we were pleased to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives because you had become dear to us. Now, if it was just about making sure my kids knew all the facts, that's a pretty easy thing that we could check off. I could give them a little multiple choice test to make sure my kids had all the information. They knew, they knew about God, they knew about Jesus, they knew what he had done for them and they knew how to follow him. What my kids need is week in week out to see other people living that life for them it's not just about sharing the gospel with them it's about sharing our lives and that is what i'm so so in awe of every week as i look at our children's volunteers that show up week after week not just to share the gospel they do that and they do that so well but they share their lives. They talk about their puppies, they talk about their grandkids, they talk about their friends. We show our children that there is no junior and senior church, that we are all part of the church. We are a privileged church to be multi-generational and how we become intergenerational is that we connect with each other intentionally. Our children are both the current church and the future. It's that paradox of the here and not yet and that our children are very much a part of the church But they will grow to be sitting in in these seats as adults and they will grow to be leading the next generation so right now we've only been offering kids programming during second service but this is very exciting starting in january we are going to go back to offering it in both services we want to make sure that there's no kids that don't have the opportunity to have these types of relationships and that will also open up some opportunities for adult sunday school classes and discipleship groups to be meeting as well but you know that that's going to take people i'm saying this in faith right now that we're going to start at january 9th but can i be honest i do not have my do not have teachers i do not have my slots filled we are trusting that this is the direction that god wants us to go and so i know as i look out i am looking into faces and i know that there is a history and a legacy of adults caring for and investing in our kids lives i know many of you have done this for years maybe you took a little breather but you're kind of feeling that poke of man there is nothing like a kid coming up to you on sunday morning and they just can't wait to see you and tell you all about their week so this morning i'm wearing my pajamas (laughs) why well because this is just one of the ways that i connect with some kids who really matter to me and in connecting with them and letting them know how much they matter to me i have a much better chance of showing them and connecting with them and letting them know how much they matter to god so i'm not going to tom Sawyer you i'm not going to trick you into but daylight savings time will uh end eventually here and that'll be another pajama day. And so maybe you'd like to, uh, to join me in pajamas that next time. I've got some cards on the back table. If you're feeling like, oh, I'd really like to say yes to, to being part of that circle, part of that influential group of adults that can really nurture and help a child grow into a lifelong faith, I've got places for you. I'd love to talk to you more about that. I'm going to invite uh, Pastor Paula to preach now.
3: Thank you. Mara, we appreciate all you do with our kids. It's not an easy task and it's not something that uh, you're responsible for on your own. This is our responsibility, right? Okay, get an amen that this is our responsibility and we need you. I I told Mara, we have all the people we need, Uh, it's you. (laughs) And so it's like we have all the money we need. Unfortunately, it's in your pocket. We have all the gifts and people we need. Uh, Unfortunately, you have to participate. and So we're looking forward to that. I would say this. Programs and services may draw people, relationships grow and keep people. And so the strength of our church will always be not what we do on Sunday morning. We love what we do on Sunday morning. It won't be the programs that we're able to do. The strength of a church is always found in its relationships. And that doesn't start when you become an adult. That starts when you're a kid. And so many of you out there can think of people that invested in you as a child, we need those kind of folks to invest in our kids in this generation as well, so that we can build the, the current generation and the next generation of those serving, serving God. Now, perspective matters. And, and I've kind of got, I guess it's a joke. It's, Spencer calls these dad jokes, uh, these jokes that I tell. And I said, well, guess what? I'm a dad. That's the only kind of jokes I can tell. Uh, but there's two men on opposite sides of the river, and one shouts to the other, how do I get on the other side? And the other shouts back, You are on the other side. <laughs> you know, perspective matters. Uh, you know, how, how we're viewing things matters. We've been dealing with revival or renewal. And we, we looked at it through the lens of Josiah, this Old Testament king, and, and the, the, this ideal of revival and renewal. And then we started looking at this through the lens of Jesus in Luke 15. And in and, and Josiah, we see that people are searching for God. And then Jesus opens us up to the reality that not only are we searching for God, that God is searching for us, that God cares for us. And, and God is inviting us, his people, people who have the mind that, of, of Christ, people who see like Jesus, he, people who identify with Jesus. You know, we're Christians, little, you know, we're, we're miniature Jesuses. And, and one of the things that we're called to do is join Christ in this mission of redemption and search for others, not to sit by passively and wait, but to be actively searching for other folks and so in Luke 15, um, we, we've been looking at this through this lens, and we're going to walk through the whole chapter one more time. I think it's important enough to read through this again. Uh, Luke 15, beginning verse 1. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to him, listening to him, both the Pharisees and scribes begin to grumble, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So, so Jesus is welcoming sinners into his, respo- into his presence. He, he's, he's glad that they're there. And in response to this, to this response of the religious people, Jesus tells three parables, three stories, uh, three kingdom stories that give us a kingdom perspective. And these stories are not for the lost. These stories are for people who are good folks, who believe they have everything all together, that they're more for church people than they are for people outside the church. It's more for us than the people we're praying for. It's to give us a different perspective It's to get us on God's side of the river. So he told them this parable saying, What man among you, if he has a hundred sheep and has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open pasture and go after the one which is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost." I tell you that in the same way there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no need of repentance. And so Jesus is saying if it's reasonable, if it's reasonable to look for lost sheep, it's reasonable to search for lost people, to be active and care. Or what woman, if she has ten silver coins and loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I found the coin which I had lost. In the same way, I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents." Once again, this is a value statement. One out of ten is valuable, but no, that's just a perfect number. And so there's this importance that you find in the loss that they, they bring wholeness. That's not only those who are wandering from God that, that are missing out, we're missing out because they represent ministry and perspectives and opportunities, and the church is not the same without them. And then the most familiar of the parables, the prodigal son. Probably. Uh, along with the Good Samaritan, probably the most familiar parable that Jesus tells. And, you know, it's it's in popular culture, the ideal of the the prodigal. As a matter of fact, it's even in popular culture. The Rolling Stones even have a song about this parable. And the first part of it goes like this. He said, a man had two sons. The younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey into a distant country. And there he squandered his state with loose living. Now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in that country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and he sent him to his fields to feed swine and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating and no one was giving anything to him but when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired hands ha- hired men have more than enough bread but i'm dying here with hunger i'll get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me as one of your hired men. So he got up and came to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and in your sight. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father stopped him. And said to the slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fattened calf, kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. And they began to celebrate. (laughs) Now that's the first part of the parable. It's emotionally moving right when you read that story when you hear that story it's emotionally moving we we, we can relate to that ideal of the prodigal you know there's some cultural understanding says the the eldest son was due a double inheritance and and the younger son got his inheritance and and the younger son is in essence saying father I, i wish you were dead so i can just have my money so the father grants his request and he gives him the money, and the son is gone and he loses it all. And then there's this powerful image of the son in a pigsty, pig which, of course, is, you know, pork is unclean to Jewish people, so he's fallen as far off uh, as he could fall off, coming to himself, rehearsing what he's going to say, and heading home. And the father watching and waiting, not searching, but watching and waiting. And while he's a long way off, the father gets up, he feels compassion, and he runs and embraces him and kisses him. I've heard in recent years, I think the last time we preached through this, this passage, it's not been that long ago, that, that, that this is really a, a, a cultural taboo. That, that what the father did, he shouldn't have done. That culture would have frowned upon this. That it would have been making an, himself an embarrassment. That people would have looked at him, and he would have seemed lesser for his action in running to the prodigal son. Can, can I be honest? As a father, it feels completely normal. What, what one of you if you'd lost a son and they had wandered from you and you saw him come home, wouldn't run to them and embrace them. So there's a gap between how God the Father in this parable acts and what culture would say. And what I would say is culture's not right here. The Father God is right. And so I would say this just as an aside. Don't let culture... Define your interaction with people. Let, let Father God define your interaction with people because can, can we be honest enough to realize and admit that often our culture is wrong, but God is never wrong. And then there's this big party. Put a ring on his finger, a robe on his back, sandals on his, on his feet, and, and a huge party. Um, it's, um, next week, we're going to talk about a time to dance or learning to dance. And it's, it's, it's from a, a sermon I saw uh, a guy preach at, at, at a Catalyst conference several years ago. And he, he talks about when they're in the boat and, and Jesus walks in the water. And he said, There's a time to worship. And, and then he talks about the prodigal, There's a time to dance. All right? Can you guys do your best dance? All right? There's a time to dance. Prodigals, he, he doesn't know. It's like a whirlwind's hit him. All of a sudden, he's on the dance floor. And he's just celebrating because of what God has done. But it's not the end of the parable. <laughs> you know, it's important. And it's beautiful. But it's not the main point. It's not the point Jesus is driving home. It's, you know, it's you know, I mentioned two parables that are that are embraced by our culture. The other one's the Good Samaritan, right? And, and so most of the time in our culture, when we think about the, the parable of the Good Samaritan, our culture focuses on what? The actions of the Good Samaritan. That that defines love and caring, and, and that's important and that's valuable, and I think Jesus is teaching that lesson. But the purpose of the parable of the Good Samaritan was not simply to tell people how to care for people. The purpose of the Good Samaritan parable was an answer to a question, who is my neighbor? <laughs> and so oftentimes our culture doesn't understand. But, but Jesus isn't just talking about the definition of love and what it looks like in the parable of the Good Samaritan, but he's telling us how far our love should extend, and they even extend to the Samaritan, the one that's not like us. And in this one, the, the, the central meaning is more than just the possibility of redemption for prodigals. It's about the attitude of the religious, the good people, the church, when it comes to the sinners. So the rest of the parable goes like this. Now his older brother was in the field and we came and approached the house. He heard music and dancing And he summoned one of the servants and began inquiring what these things could be. And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has received him back safe and sound. But he became angry and was not willing to go in. His father came out and began pleading with him. He answered and said to his father, Look, for so many years I've been serving you and I've never neglected a command of yours and yet you have never given me a young goat so that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your wealth with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. And he said to him, Son, you've always been here with me and all that is mine Is yours but we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found can you see the scene I understand this is a parable I understand Jesus is telling a story but this is a pretty vivid story you know I can see the scene in my hand and head, and there 's this celebration going on and then there 's the older brother outside, angry. you know the first week we we dove into this i I said that these parables are really not the parable of one lost son but it 's the parable of two lost boys, two lost sons and, and so what I believe Jesus is describing here is the image of those coming to Jesus, what they were seeing from religious folks. That that Jesus is receiving them and there's celebration and there's joy because there's this in-breaking kingdom of God and the religious people are... Can you believe he's eating with them? You know, I always think when I read this story, what would a brother do? I I think of my brothers. What, What would my brothers do if I was lost and then I was found. And, and I think of the brother that's in the house. Is he looking for this older brother? He's had this reconciliation with his father. And wouldn't he be looking for this reconciliation with his brother as well? And the, and the brokenheartedness of knowing that there's still brokenness in the family, even though the father has received him. Do we apply this to us? Our posture... Our posture towards people that have not chosen faith matters. It is significant. You know, as I've um, went into the law practice more, I'm dealing with more people outside of faith. And, and church, you need to hear this and understand this that at least the perceived posture of the church towards outside of faith is not always good. That that there's a perception in our culture that the church oftentimes stands as the older brother and looks at those outside of faith like this. You know what doesn't draw people? Judgment, arguing into submission, it only pushes them further away. This folded arm Christianity. Let me ask you what do your social posts look like? I am grieved at times, not by the social post of those who are outside of faith. There's some disturbing things there as well, but oftentimes I'm disturbed by the judgment and the ugliness I find in Christian people's post and the culture that surrounds them. What's your social posts look like? Do they look like Jesus or do they look like this? This is what they're seeing. You know, the parable ends not with the father in the house celebrating with the prodigal, but out on the patio with the disgruntled son. There's a party going on, but the father's standing on the patio with the angry son. See, the Father is for both sons. He doesn't favor one. He's for both. I'm not sure if the Pharisees understood the significance. You know, Jesus would say, you hypocrites. And I think sometimes we see that as judgmental. I think Jesus says that with a great deal of sadness. You know, a hypocrite is someone that's just playing the part, just acting. And I think Jesus is saying that with a great deal of sadness. You're playing this part, but God wants more for you. And I want to embrace you. I am with you. I am for you. So what's important for us to see, you can come to church every Sunday and still be lost. If your posture of your heart it is like the elder son, you're missing out on the kingdom. But whether you're the prodigal who leaves or you're the prodigal who stays, God is for you. So why is the older son upset in the parable? Can we look at this? The The younger sons wasted everything. <laughs> And now he's going to use the older brother's share as well. Uh, you know, you, you realize the kingdom of God's not always fair. <laughs> hey, we, we have this concept of fairness, and, and sometimes the kingdom of God's an unfair kingdom. I think of the parable of the workers, the, the workers that came in early in the day and the workers that came in late in the day. The, the, the landowner paid them the same amount. And so there's this concept where, where the focus of the kingdom is not fairness. The focus of the kingdom is overwhelming generosity. Now, that would be a good time for believers to say amen because God has been more generous with us than we deserve. And so the focus of the kingdom is not this ideal of fairness but the God who overwhelms us with his generosity and his care. Now, can we acknowledge that we are a a possession-based culture? Uh, what, what we own. We, 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 you know, that's, that's kind of how everything's driven. And, and really, most cultures are possession-based. No, no matter, you know, you can talk communism. Communism's a pe- possession-based. Everything's owned, uh, but it's shared ownership. And then you can talk about socialism. Everything's owned by the government. And we're, we're capitalism, and, or that's what we ascribe to be, and it's market-driven, and, and it's individually owned. So we work within the confines of ownership. This elder sons working within the confines of ownership. But from the time we're little, we, we learn this ideal of ownership. We, we learn to share what's ours, but what's ours is ours, right? This is your bed. This is your blanket. This is your cup. This is your toy. We watch movies like Toy Story and Andy writes Andy's on the bottom of Buzz Lightyear's shoe to no, know that's Andy's toy. We spend our life marking our names on items. This is Paul's car. This is Paul's house. This is Paul's IRA. We we name and we own things. And in the parable, the father says this. And he said to him, son, you've always been with me. And all that is mine is yours. But we had to celebrate and rejoice for this brother of yours was dead and has begun to live and was lost and has been found. What the takeaway is from this for me, the kingdom is not about ownership, but participation with the father that he's not inviting us to own ministries, he's not inviting us to own churches, he's not inviting us to ownership, but participation. And by failing to embrace the prodigal, the older son is rejecting participation in the kingdom, he's rejecting what God has to offer. Verse 31 and 32 sum up, what Jesus is calling us to do, religious folks, to participate him with him, to, to see people differently, to respond differently. And so we're called to sum up these this chapter, we're called to actively seek those who've wandered from or rejected the kingdom because number one, they are valuable and they matter. Now, number two, they, they bring wholeness to the kingdom. And then finally, in so doing, we're participating in the, the, the purpose and the joys of the kingdom. I want to give you a little bit of space to respond this morning just to this parable. And, and so how are you doing? Maybe you're here and you're fully in. Your heart and the Father's heart beats as one. Maybe you just need to celebrate that, that what God's doing and how God's leading you. Maybe you identify with one of the sons. Maybe you're the prodigal and you've not left yet, but you're looking for a way out. In the church, you have people that are saying, is, is this the last Sunday? Is this the last month? You're just looking for that way out. Maybe you feel like you're missing something. Maybe you've already left. Maybe if you were honest, even though you're here, you're really in the pigsty and you're trying to figure out how to get home. You're rehearsing what you need to say to God. Maybe you've wandered, but now you're home. And you're dancing. You don't know why, other than God said dance. Celebrating being a child. Maybe you're home, but you're gone. Maybe you're home, but worried about what's yours more than celebrating and participating in the kingdom. Wherever you are, God the Father is for you. He is with you. He is pulling for you. He wants desperately for you to participate and join him in this kingdom of celebration and joy and wholeness and life. We're going to bring the lights down, and I'm just going to give you space. Our, our altars are always available. Uh, maybe there's something God's speaking to, and you just need to come and, and, and meet him at an altar. Uh, maybe you want to pray right where you're sitting. But I'm just going to ask you to close your eyes, and, and um, Lord, help us right now to be obedient to you in these moments. Father God, we stop and acknowledge at the outset that it all belongs to you. <laughs> that, that anything that we have or anything we get to participate in or anything that that we get to share we share with you. And you're generous. You, you give us more than we deserve. Lord I, I pray that you'll help us to see that, to see it in that way that when we live as your children we're not missing out on anything we don't need to go and waste our life we, we don't need to stay and be bitter about what we don't have but Lord you invite us the partnership, the sharing being with you. All that you have is ours. And what what you ask in response, that we respond in kind. All that I have is yours, Lord. Lord, help us to not live with this attitude of grabbing on to everything, but to live in a new way where we let go of things so that you can guide us more fully. Lord, in this congregation, as I stand here and preach, as I stand and pray, there's, there's individuals that are, quite frankly, wandering. They know it. I pray, Lord, that they'll embrace the Father who, while they're a long way off, comes running to them. Lord, in this congregation, there's those who've come home and they're just celebrating. Thank you for that. Thank you for the victory we can have in Jesus. Lord, in this congregation, there's those who have stayed they've never grabbed hold of your heart. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to to, to look at these parables and to see those people we call lost in a different way, in a way that you see them. May we have the mind of Jesus who didn't consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking upon himself the form of a servant, submitted himself even to death on a cross. May we, your people, be identified with the nature of Jesus. Now, Lord, as we go from this place, This isn't the end of response. Lord, I pray that you'll help us as we encounter people to have these words come to our mind. And Lord, may they see Jesus in us. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. And all God's people said, Amen. God bless, folks.